1: When it comes to the body of Christ, there are different stations for each and every one of us, and some of those stations deserve a certain amount of respect, as we are noticing here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner is coming up next. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace. Hi there and welcome to our broadcast. We're continuing our study in 1 Timothy chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 25. Message called, Don't Treat Everyone in the Church the Same. Today we begin part two of this little mini-series within our series of 1 Timothy. We invite you to join us as we continue examining how we are to deal with elders, leaders within the church, and the different distinctions that God makes here in His Word. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast.
2: Today is the second part of Don't Treat Everyone in the Church the Same. Before I get started, I think you saw, as John read today, that this talks about a pastor and the money that he gets from the church. So before I start, I want you to know that I have always appreciated what you have given me. In fact, I think you give me too much, but I'm not here today to ask you to give me more, and I hope you understand that. But what I tend to do, what I plan to do, is to exegete this passage um, as it uh, is delivered to us, but also to have you listen carefully because there's some underlying principles behind those two verses about not um, muzzling the ox and and, uh, making sure that those who teach and preach are paid double honor. Much more underneath that, so listen carefully. As we have seen for the past several weeks, the Apostle Paul is instructing this new minister, Timothy, and through this letter, God is instructing the church down through the ages, how he wants the church organized in her worship and ministry, your relationship with each other, and the things we have particularly seen in this chapter is that we are not to treat everyone the same in the church. So if you want to know what that means, go to our website and listen to last Sunday's sermon. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But today I'm going to talk more about the organization of the leadership of the church and how we are to relate to those who are elders and how elders are to relate to us and to each other. Now, most Christians today have no idea how much material there is in the New Testament on the organization of the institutional church. In fact, the subject is quite boring to most. Can you imagine some of these mega churches that have all kinds of entertainment and the preacher preaches a sermon that stirs the emotions? What would those churches do? If all of a sudden their preacher decided to preach a 10-week series on the organization of the institutional church. I don't imagine that he'd get very far. Because people don't realize that this is an important issue. They say, after all, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about salvation. The Bible is about our triune God. Well, guess what? In the New Testament, the Bible is about how you are to organize the institutional church also. In almost all of Paul's epistles, he talks about it in one way or another. And the man who wrote most of the New Testament has a whole book about it. Now, who wrote most of the new testament it wasn't paul paul wrote most of the books but the man who wrote the bulk of the new testament was luke a non-jewish doctor he wrote the gospel according to luke and he wrote the book of acts and if you want to know how the church is to be organized And how God wants us to organize the way we are to worship and the way that we are to do things. Read particularly the book of Acts about the apostolic church. Now what is so important about it that Paul spends so much time writing about it. And Luke spent a whole book writing about it. What is so important about the organization of the church? Isn't that really just for those who lead in the church or have an interest in such things? Well, I could preach several sermons on the importance of knowing what the Bible says about how the church is to be organized and why it is anything but a boring, irrelevant, non-practical issue for all of us. First of all, We are not reading the opinion of a man. We are reading how God himself thinks his church should be run. Because he knows that it is the best way to shepherd his sheep and protect them from the wolves. This is God's word. This is not the word of man. But there's another reason. And it is more political and, I believe, more pertinent. But before I point out that reason, let me tell you about an attitude in the Reformation that is different from the attitude of most American Christians today. The Reformation in the 16th century was the greatest work of God's Holy Spirit in the history of mankind since Jesus and the Apostles in the apostolic church. And one of the greatest preachers and writers of biblical Christianity was the humble theologian, John Calvin. He has been mocked and his theology condemned, but he was a godly man. He was a great preacher, a lover of men's hearts. And his books are some of the most important books that we have in shaping the best Of Western civilization. And he said one time, the most fundamental, most important issue in Christianity that is basically the sum of all Christianity is... Now, how would you finish that sentence? I think in the world today it would be finished differently than Calvin finished it. And he said the most important issue of Christianity... And the sum of Christianity is how to accurately worship God in a congregation. And he said second and third to that is how you organize the church and how you administer the sacrament. And it is only fourth that he says it is important to learn the method of salvation and how to be saved. I don't think we would find many people today giving the priority to worship and the organization of the institutional church as the two fundamental issues of the Christian faith. Now, if you think Calvin was going to an extreme and he should have said something different, don't tell anyone, beloved, because it will show how much out of accord. chord... Your mind is, and your heart, from the mind and the heart of Almighty God. Now, do you remember King James I from the 1600s? A pervert and a tyrant, and the King of England. He was also King James VI of Scotland, and he hated Presbyterian government. He thought he was the head of the church along with being the head of the state and that his will was the law in both and he was above the law. So he was always persecuting the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. The church in Scotland had been Presbyterian for a few generations before King James came to the throne. But he was always trying to destroy Presbyterian government or representative church government in Scotland. Now, bear in mind, when I use the word Presbyterianism, it is not with a capital P. That is, I'm not talking about some particular denomination. I'm literally talking about an idea. Presbyterianism comes from the Greek word for presbyter which is the Greek word for elder. And Presbyterianism with a small p simply means a church governed by representatives of a constitution, which of course is the Bible, and these men are chosen by the congregation. If you want a technical term for Presbyterianism, it is ecclesiastical republicanism. Ecclesiastical means church, and republic means to be ruled by representatives elected by the people to enforce and obey a particular constitution or a particular set of laws. Okay, now we've got that out of the way. So James I couldn't stand Presbyterian church government. In fact, he had a motto that said, no bishop, no king. No bishop, no king. You see, he understood that if we don't have one-man rule in the church, eventually people will not want one-man rule in the state. So James I was the first man to say in so many words, if we don't get rid of a representative government in the church, then every Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to want to vote for the king. So what is King James the first saying? And this is not just my biased, my friends. This is not simply my opinion. This is not simply an extreme view. And this is certainly not the view of some half-baked preacher who thinks he's a scholar. (laughs) Trust me, I'm far from it. This can be documented over and over. So listen the way most churches in a society are organized will determine how the civil government is organized. And the attitude people have toward church government will be the attitude they have toward civil government. Let me give you some illustrations. In the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries in Great Britain and in most of Europe, but we're just going to focus today on the church of England was basically more or less. They had one man rule. So you had the archbishops and the bishops, which came straight down from the King of England who set himself up as the one and only head of the church. And the bishops and the archbishops are the ones who called the shots. And what was taught in the church and the way the church worshipped was dictated by bishops and archbishops under the headship of King James. So what kind of government do you think England had in those days? It had one man, tyrannical rule. So if you have an Anglican form of church government in the church where one man calls all the shots, it's going to breed tyranny. It's going to breed one-man tyrannical rule in the state. In South America, and in most of Southern Europe, what to this day is the basic way the church is organized. It is Roman Catholicism. And the Roman Catholic Church is a pure example of one-man rule. You've got the Pope. And when he speaks ex cathedra, it is considered to be infallible. And you have the archbishops and the cardinals, and they basically call the shots under the head of the Pope. And then what do we have in Central and Southern America? We have Roman Catholicism, where it is dominant. And you have one petty dictator after another. One petty dictator who forces his will on everyone. And then there's a coup d'etat, and a new petty dictator takes control. There again, you have one-man rule in the church, and it breeds tyrannical government. One-man rule in the state. Also, where you have churches in a culture... Where most of them have congregational church government, that is, the idea that the majority rules which is the majority of churches in the United States today. And in these churches, you determine the program of the church, the future of the church, how the finances of the church are to be spent, along with everything else, as well as the bylaws, by having a congregational meeting, a business meeting with the entire congregation, and they take a vote, and the majority rules. 50% of the congregation plus one rules the church. And that's called ecclesiastical democracy. You and I should have a major problem with that right from the start to say that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the majority rules. But who does rule the church? Well, it's not the elders, it's not the majority, but the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should have a problem with this right off the bat, with a democratic form of government in the church where the majority rules. Now, here's the problem with democracy. A democracy is where the majority rules absolutely, not the rule of law. And with a majority, that rule of law can change at any time. So 51% decides the law of the land, which can change at the whim of the majority. And the other 49% must submit or pay the consequences. Today in America, our rule of law, the Constitution, is being torn apart. It is being demolished. But I don't believe you can call America a democracy because the election was stolen by a wicked cabal and now in actuality the minority rules and their will is becoming our law. And there is, no, there is so much more, beloved, that I could say on this issue, but trust me, it would take me three or four hours to get through it. Do you want to stay another three or four hours? Yes. <laughs> not me. <laughs> now, I'm talking about these. I'm not talking about these things just to fill in time here today. I'm talking about these things because this is a great implication from Scripture. And if we don't understand and believe these things and we keep the road we're on right now in the church and the way it's organized then we will have less and less freedom and more and more perverted justice in the state. So make, I make no apologies for preaching on these things. But maybe a few of you are thinking, well, I didn't come here to hear about Presbyterianism. I came here to hear about Jesus. Well, I'm telling you about Jesus, beloved. Jesus is king of the church. And he says this is the way he wants his church to be established or you will lose your freedom and your dignity. Now we must put the blame for where America is today. At the door of the church for two reasons. Because of its unbiblical concept of church government and because of its failure to claim the crown rights of Jesus Christ over all areas of our culture. So in a culture where most churches have a democratic form of government, that is majority rules, what kind of government are you going to have in the civil sphere? You're going to have a democracy. And some of you may be saying, so, well, I thought we were a democracy. Well, I'm sorry, but that just shows you how, brainwashed you have become if you think that and how ignorant you are about the history of christianity and of the united states so let me ask you how many times does the word democracy appear in the declaration of independence exactly not once how many times does the word democracy appear in the constitution of the united states not once Because the last thing our founding fathers wanted was to establish a democracy in this country. Most of our history books say that our history was shaped after the democracies of ancient Greece. That is definitely not true. And by the way, all of the democracies of ancient Greece degenerated into tyrannies and they disappeared. Now, sadly, I must interject here though that our republic has not feared well either. And I believe it is because our triune God was not at first established as our supreme lawgiver with all of our laurels deriving from his word alone. But I can assure you, if the church is organized according to democratic principles, that state will end up democratic and the majority will rule. And you may be asking, well, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that is that majorities are easily manipulated by people of power. So those societies that start out as being democracies literally end up as tyrannies. Because there will always be men who have power that want to manipulate and control for their own benefit. You see that now right here in the United States. So the United States was never formed to be a democracy. Our founding fathers were brilliant men, but still left a little out with not making Christ the supreme over this country. You can tell a lot about political persons. Whether he or she is a senator or a congressman or a president or a governor or whatever it may be, by whether or not he calls this country a democracy. So just listen and see if they use that word. And praise the Lord. America wasn't created to be a democracy. In fact, I think we would have been down the tubes years ago if it started out as a democracy. It wasn't created to be a nation where a majority rules. It was created to be a civil government where men are elected by the people to obey and enforce the constitution. And that is called a republic. And even if most of the constituents in that country do not like the constitution, they must either change it, which is extremely difficult... A man elected to office must obey and enforce that law and defend that constitution no matter what. Your representatives, no matter the office they hold, listen to this carefully, are not there to represent you. They are there to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And you see, all of this is highly spiritual. They have to do with Christ. And whether or not freedom and justice in Christ are going to prevail in a culture, or whether evil and slavery and tyranny are going to prevail in a culture. So how a church is organized will determine how a civil government is organized. And if most of the churches have one-man rule, the state will most likely be tyrannical. It will breed tyranny. And if most churches have a democratic form of government where the majority rules, eventually the majority will think they rule in the state, and sooner or later they will be manipulated and controlled by some man or a group of men who become very powerful. You look at those nations in the past that had a great reformation. Where the churches were changed, not only in what they believed, but in the way they organized the church. And they started being representative governments, men elected by the congregation to represent the constitution of the church, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, which is Presbyterianism with a small p. And it is difficult for tyranny to exist in a society where most churches are Presbyterian in church government.